Not too long ago, in the 1970s, the American economist Milton Friedman famously said that the only social responsibility of business was to maximize profits. Well, we've come a long way since then. These days, companies aren't just expected to make money. They're also expected to drive change on global environmental and societal issues. In fact, for-profit companies, the very same ones that Friedman was talking about just a few decades ago, are now seen as having more potential for impact on social issues than governments, nonprofits, and big philanthropists. But that's not to say that society at large is sitting back and waiting for business to do it all. Today, consumers, employees, and investors are finding ways to harness their power in shaping how corporations approach these important issues. It's called stakeholder capitalism, and it's displacing shareholder capitalism and changing the way business operates. More and more, consumers are choosing the brands they support based on their commitment to important causes. In a study by GWI, when consumers were asked what they want in a brand, it was found that 56% of consumers consider how a company supported people during COVID-19. That was ahead of product quality, which came in at 49%. Similarly, employees are being more selective about where they work and are more vocal about their expectations on their companies to do more than just pursue profit. And investors are using their influence too, not only by being careful about which companies they back, but by actively influencing the commitments of the companies where they do invest. Just recently, Engine Number no. 1, an investor group with an activist streak, elected two new candidates to the board of ExxonMobil. That push caused one of ExxonMobil's biggest shareholders, BlackRock, to vote in favor of the new board members, essentially pushing one of the world's largest producers of oil, gas, and chemicals toward a greener future. These types of movements are happening across industries, where stakeholders are more vocal than ever about what they want from business, and business faces a major risk by ignoring them. Since the beginning of 2020, the ever-shifting relationships between companies and their stakeholders has become even more unpredictable. The sudden emergence of a global pandemic didn't create issues like racial inequality, the wealth gap, or unequal access to health care, but it certainly shone a very bright light on them. It also highlighted the way companies can have a positive impact on the world. It starts with understanding what matters to their customers, their employees, their communities, investors, and society as a whole, and then integrating their interests into a company's ESG strategy. ESG, it stands for Environment Social Governance, and it's changing the face of business. I'm Sona Kosla, Chief Impact Officer here at Benevity. We're a B Corp headquartered in Calgary, Canada, and we help companies bring purpose to life with our technology and all-in-one engagement suite of solutions. Today on Speaking of Purpose, the rising movement of stakeholder capitalism and ESG. Bruce Simpson is the CEO of the Stephen A. Schwartzman Foundation and co-CEO of Schwartzman Philanthropies. He took the role earlier this year after a 30-year stint in various roles at McKinsey, including time as the Managing Director of McKinsey Canada. McKinsey & Company is an American worldwide management consulting firm that advises on strategic management to the world's most influential businesses and institutions. Most recently, Bruce spent time as the lead of McKinsey's purpose and ESG practice. 
He's spent years and untold efforts on elevating the importance of ESG within companies before it became cool. And in the last couple of years, Bruce has seen his passion meet with an exciting global movement. ESG is a hot topic right now, as environmental, social, and governance themes become the key drivers in what creates a bond between companies and their stakeholders. Why is it hot at the moment? Well, society's expectations have moved quite dramatically. People now expect companies to deliver to society at the same level as governments. So people are really expecting them to shift into this, into this space. Uh, Generation Z famously, there's a great quote in the FT summarizing, it's not just about philanthropic giving for Generation Z, it's philanthropic living. They blur the lines between the world and, uh, and companies. They'll actually work for less pay for a company that seemed to be doing great things in this area. Uh, there's a huge amount of wealth being passed on to Generation Z, trillions of dollars uh, as they inherit wealth from their elders uh, and the way they choose products and what the expected companies is driving a, a lot of this, of this uptick. 38% of consumers right now are boycotting products, not because their product doesn't deliver what it promised, it's because of the stance that that product or brand has on societal issues. Investors are now more activist too, so they're also getting a lot more interventionist. I mean, for example, there was an environmentalist uh, a resolution uh, at DuPont, I think just a, a year, 18 months ago, that got 7% support. The same uh, shareholder proposal got 81% of support this year, which shows how investors are stepping up uh, and really asking companies they're thinking of investing in to step up on, on the ESG space. Employees, too, they're saying, we want the companies we work for to take a stand. Uh, and we want to have a, a stronger role in decision making. And if they're not happy with what a company is doing, they're going to go to social media. And very quickly, you'll be surprised at what's being said about a company on social media. So it's um, so those are a number of, of, of reasons. The other thing, too, though, is that there's growth uh, in this area. Sustainable products are 16% of the market, but 55% of consumer market growth. Unilever has said that their organic products are growing much faster than the traditional products. And so we are seeing an uptick to companies that are actually driving ESG performance are popular and growing. A shift in priorities combined with the realization of just how much power stakeholders can lay claim to is causing a major shift in corporate priorities. A few decades ago, most companies were primarily focused on generating profits for their shareholders. And some of them were investing in corporate social responsibility programs, acknowledging that in order to do good business, you also had to give back to the communities in which you operated. But in the last decade, as consumers, employees, communities, and investors began to look to companies to play a bigger role in addressing environmental and societal issues, the movement of stakeholder capitalism emerged. Bruce explains how this has changed everything about what we know about business. Yes, I'm going to simplify this, but there is a debate between shareholder capitalism. This would be represented by people who say the business of business is business, famously quoting Friedman from the 70s, where companies should just focus on delivering a product and a profit. That's what they're best at. They shouldn't be messing with politics and messing around with this broader societal purpose. They should let NGOs and governments worry about that. That would be shareholder capitalism. 
What I would say is, uh, however, the shareholder capitalism, if you're only focusing on short-term profits, you may well have a company whose ecosystem is not healthy because you might be underpaying employees, not working productively with, uh, with suppliers. You may have an unhappy relationship with your, with your regulators. And, uh, and shareholder thinking, if you can extend the timelines and think about what's good for our shareholders in five to seven years, there you can meet the stakeholder capitalists who would say, we really need to have companies uh, delivering for all its different stakeholder groups. That includes suppliers, consumers, employees, regulators, and broader society. And I think when we think about the five to seven year uh, time horizon, that's where stakeholder capitalism and shareholder capitalism overlap because companies investing for the long term and doing the right thing for those stakeholder groups will have a, a healthier, more sustainable ecosystem. There will be less risk and they will be more successful. While stakeholder capitalism is starting to take shape, what Bruce is saying is that corporate purpose and ESG don't have to exist outside the realm of being profitable and successful by traditional business metrics. In fact, it's quite the opposite, and the data is unequivocal. Companies that act in the best interests of society with long-term vision are more successful on the bottom line. All it takes is a little patience and a lot of trust. If we think about stakeholder capitalism, there's a tyranny today in the corporate world where 80% of CFOs would actually sacrifice long-term value. They would sacrifice them in favor of short-term earnings, the tyranny of that quarterly analyst call. However, companies that orient themselves towards the long-term, this is where stakeholder capitalism comes in, uh, but by long-term, I mean five to seven years, actually outperform their peers. And there's terrific maths that McKinsey has done on cumulative growth of companies that think for the long term, actually outperforming more short-term focused companies. And I think the real trade-off here is not between purpose and profit, but between short-termism and long-termism. Now, we then take that long-termist view and double-click. Long-term focused companies do better because stakeholder and shareholder interests align in the long term by having a healthy ecosystem, increased employee engagement because employees are happy that generates productivity. Top-line growth can come from conscious consumers who like your products. Suppliers who are treated well are generally more collaborative. Regulators uh, who are satisfied with what you're doing are generally less interventionist. And, and products which you can invest in, which might take a little while, but focused on delivering longer-term benefits can then win through. So th the real thing is, is longer-term, that longer-term focus where the shareholder and stakeholder interests align. Purpose and ESG then provide a framework to actually address these stakeholder interests. Now, ESG we mentioned before is just a list of, uh, of topics organized under ESG themes. It doesn't tell you where to focus. It doesn't tell you what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. It's just a checklist. What purpose does is it answers the question, what's a company's core reason for being? If you disappeared tomorrow, your company, if you're a bank, let's say, could other banks just simply replace you with other products and services? Or is there some magic that you bring to the table, which the world would lose? Aristotle said, where your strengths intersect with society's needs, 
there lies your vocation. And so what purpose does, it pushes companies to say, what is our vocation? What's that muscle that we bring to the world, which is different? As the momentum behind ESG grows, business leaders may think, wait, ESG has been around for years. What's changed? In years past, ESG might have been seen, at best, as a way to mitigate risk. At worst, it's seen as yet another compliance and reporting framework. But now, ESG is evolving into a core part of business and a key driver in creating sustainable value. As Bruce says, if companies don't see ESG as an opportunity instead of a requirement, they're missing the point. Yes, you mentioned ESG evolving from a risk mitigation tool to something that's more value creating. And uh, we definitely see huge movement in this area. Companies looked at ESG a little bit like going to the dentist. It's this list of risks. We do have to disclose on them. We're on the back foot because, because society and consumers are complaining about what we're doing, our, G, our GHG footprint, for example. So let's at least get out there and measure it, see what our footprint is today, make sure we're not doing harm, and then working on being a good citizen to the effect that we're actually minimizing uh, any damage we may be doing to the environment. Call that uh, phase one. What we've seen then, uh, you know, that's moved from a, from a few years ago now to companies actually shifting to a perspective where they say, well, actually, in addition to doing no harm, there is value here. If we can actually develop new products and services that consumers, particularly nudged by Generation Z, Generation Z, they're going to buy products which are sustainable. Uh, they're going to ask questions about what the company's purpose is that they're working for. And they're going to complain that they're not happy because it's a very vocal group that goes to social media very quickly. And so we're seeing now this shift where companies are, are seeing it as a value creation tool, where in addition to looking at the risk side where they're vulnerable, also looking at, well, where do we really have a story here? And not a spin story, a, a story which really has a narrative, which is credible. And can we, with that narrative, have more impact on society with better products, better services, and therefore be more successful? And that's the upside that we're, that we're seeing now. As companies look for the right narrative, they sometimes have to do something that is counter to one of the foundational business principles we might expect, namely sacrificing profits in the short term in order to bring their purpose and ESG into focus. This is what we at Benevity call purpose-driven ESG. Yes, well, companies are already risking profits. Uh, there are some great examples of that. To have a, a purpose narrative, which is then, um, which cascades into an ESG focus, new products, new services, and so on, to be credible to the outside world, there needs to be some trade-offs uh, that you're thinking about. We often suggest that companies array their products from most to least profitable, and then most to least beneficial for society. And we ask them to look at the profitability. How does the profitability uh, stack up with impact on society? And are there some trade-offs there you could think about? Now, CVS famously, the pharmacy chain in the US, famously stopped selling cigarettes. That was a massive hit to their bottom line in the short term. Um, so a real trade-off there. However, they replaced those products with more healthy products and have been more successful uh, more recently. We would actually ask companies, if they wanna get real in this space, what are your stop dues? Stop dues would be just one of a, of a list of what we would call purpose proof points. If you aren't stopping from selling something, 
which does have a short-term hit to profitability, then you probably haven't dug deep enough and can be accused then of purpose washing as opposed to you know, really having a strong purpose narrative. So we do see that it's hard. If you're in oil and gas, it's hard, but there too, there's a, there's a terrific story, uh, Orsted, uh, which is a Scandinavian energy firm. They shifted from 80% fossil fuels, 80% oil and gas uh, 10, 12 years ago to 80% renewables. And during that shift, which, which included a lot of uh, sales of assets and, and acquisitions too, they have performed very impressively for shareholders. So there's, there's a long-term benefit for shareholders too, uh, you know, as long as you bring those shareholders along, of course, with very clear communication around what you're doing. If the last couple of years have signaled a new era in the role of purpose and ESG within companies, it's fair to say that there's been a particular focus on the role that companies play in improving society. The COVID-19 pandemic has revealed massive inequalities in society. And as people look for answers, corporations have become even more of a trusted institution to catalyze meaningful change. In America, frontline wages had not gone up in real terms in 40 years. Just Capital reported recently that uh, almost 50% of families where parents are working the Russell 1000 couldn't afford to live. And that's with both parents working. Black families in the US have one-tenth on average of the net worth of white families. Uh, COVID itself has been even more negative for women. Win women account for 54% of COVID job losses, but only 39% of the global workforce. So that, that has all been happening. And, and uh, what COVID has done is accentuate the focus on these particular areas. Interestingly, it's those frontline workers too that have kept society going. Who is it that's out there delivering services, frontline services uh, to COVID patients? Who's stocking the shelves in the supermarkets? They're taking a personal risk. And we also see a little bit of an upending of the hierarchy of companies where those frontline employees, they want a say, it's time they had a say. Um, PayPal led the way on this. They actually did something I think all companies should do, an analysis of the financial security of their frontline. Specifically, what's the net disposable income left after their frontline is paid for food and rent? And the answer was about 4%. So basically they can just live and that's it. And Dan Schulman led, led an effort to then increase frontline pay such that the frontline has 20% net disposable income after uh, paying for food and rent. They made their employees shareholders. They invested in training and skill building. All of these things took a short-term hit to uh, earnings. However, uh, they've also said that within a year, year and a half perhaps, the uptick that they got in loyalty, lowering in attrition, uh, uptick in, in engagement, it actually paid for itself. But why has the responsibility for society's inequities fallen to business? For starters, corporations have the resources to help. In a lot of cases, they have access to and influence over other businesses, and in some cases, have the power to shift policy. They also have large employee networks who can help bring purpose to life. But that depends on a critical factor, the company's ability to engage its employees and ensure that corporate purpose is aligned with individual purpose. As Bruce tells us, it's easier said than done, but it's also where the real magic lies. A major issue in the corporate world today 
particularly in the West, whereby 70% of the workforce is not actively engaged. They don't actually give a damn. They show up at work and they might bring rigor and discipline to work, but they don't bring enthusiasm, creativity, collaboration, thinking out of the box. Those are discretionary attributes they choose to leave at home because they don't feel purpose at work. We just did a survey uh, recently which showed that 85% of senior managers get their purpose from work. 85% of the frontline don't, right? They seek their purpose outside work. So imagine if companies were able to do the following, to help individuals discover what their purpose is, because many people don't actually know. It also changes as they get older and have dependents. It, it's, uh, it changes through time. So helping companies discover, helping individuals discover, what is your individual purpose? Then bringing that purpose to work and then offering uh, some changes, for example, to decision-making. Uh, I mentioned COVID has upended the corporate hierarchy. The front line has delivered a huge amount of value to keep society going. Um, let's think about redesigning jobs in order that more decisions are actually given to the front line. Best Buy delegated to in-store employees, the decision whether to give an on-the-spot discount to a customer coming in. That decision you know, helps the in-store employee feel, hey, I actually count around here. I can make that call. Um, so that, that, that's one example. Then uh, for individuals then to work in a team where there's openness, trust, and transparency, that might require some work, but the team can get there. And then can the individual see how the corporate purpose can help them make trade-offs in their daily decision-making? That is the acid test, whether your purpose actually anchors decisions in the right way. Many companies have a purpose statement, which means nothing to anybody. It's an ad agency that's developed it. It doesn't anchor in the business. And that's the key question. How does that purpose statement mean that this employee at their client can make a different decision uh, is, uh, is crucial. And the uptick, we found 4X more motivation, more engagement, from employees who feel purpose at work. And that's the real nirvana in this area. Still, many companies are seeking ways to successfully achieve their ESG goals, going beyond a tick-the-box exercise. In addition to not engaging with employees properly, Bruce sees a string of common mistakes being made by companies at every level. Yeah, the most common mistakes we see companies making in this purpose and ESG space, uh, one, treating purpose as a PR exercise which means it is not then built into the muscle of the company or its culture. There's no solid narrative behind it. It's, it seemed to be a feel-good exercise as opposed to a business exercise, uh, which really meets the, the needs of stakeholders and shareholders. That would be the first thing. Secondly, leaning into superpowers. Many companies do this. They talk about strengths. You know, for example, cell phone manufacturers, which might talk about making philanthropic donations or investments on one dimension. But wait a minute, what about that non-recyclable plastic in the cell phone? Um, uh, that's their vulnerability. You need to tackle your vulnerability to be seen to be credible or have the right then to pick up on your strength and talk about it. And that uh, so it needs to be a, two, uh, a two-pronged attack. One, where are we vulnerable? What are we doing? And then secondly, uh, where can we build on our strengths? Robbing Peter to pay Paul. Companies dialing back on their environmental investments in order to finance more social investments, which immediately means that they're discredited by people who focus mostly on the environment. You need to have an integrated approach across ESNG. 
long-term goals versus short-term. A 2050 goal in this space is a joke. Last out of town, discredited. You need to have 2022, 2025 goals to be seen to be credible. Spending insufficient time to engage employees. Another one, we, we talked about individual purpose being very important. That's where the real magic is. If your employees are with you, if their individual purpose can help deliver on the corporate purpose, then they have to be engaged. Uh, and that requires role modeling, top to bottom, and engagement of the front line. And, and I would say, lastly, cooking purpose in an internal kitchen without asking stakeholders. That's important. If purpose is meant to engage stakeholders and be the answer for stakeholder capitalism, let's start by actually asking consumers, broader society, regulators, um, and employees, what do they think? What would excite them? What do they think should be the purpose? And, that, and that's required a journey engaging all stakeholders since the beginning. In the end, a commitment to purpose and ESG is just the starting point. Making real progress on environmental, social, and governance issues requires engagement with stakeholders. Top-down decrees about purpose or an ESG strategy that was created in a boardroom out of sight of your stakeholders will come across as hollow. In order to make a real impact, you must engage the people that will ultimately decide what success looks like. Thank you for joining us on Speaking of Purpose. Today's episode was created by the passionate team here at Benevity. If you enjoy our show, please share it with a colleague or a friend. Special thanks to our guest today, Bruce Simpson. For more episodes, you can subscribe to Speaking of Purpose wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's episode, so please leave us a review or come say hi to us on social media. As always, you can learn more about us at Benevity.com. Thanks for listening.